Fellows, would you pass out the scriptures? And uh, we are going to get into the word. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to 1 John chapter 2. If you don't, raise your hand. One of these fine fellows will get you a Bible. You're welcome to keep it if you don't have your own. Uh, 1 John chapter 2. It's not the gospel of John. The New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Uh, It's towards the back of the New Testament. They're little epistles. Epistles mean letters. There's 1 John, there's 2 John, and there's 3 John. We're currently in 1 John. 1 John, and then we're in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. All right, now, something very important. We stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and then we sit for the word of the teacher. Very important. They used to stand in the Old Testament when the Word of God was read. It's the same Word that spoke the heavens into existence, and it's the same Word that's bringing you to faith. For those of you who are new to the Christian idea and this, this idea, the concept of the Word of God, when He speaks, things happen. He said, peace be still, and the waters were calm. We honor the Word of God, so we stand for the Word of God. We honor the Word of the Lord, and we tolerate the Word of the teacher. So let's pick up First John chapter 2. I'm going to read the two verses I read last week, but I'm going to put them into context, and then we're going to go all the way through to verse 11. That's what we're covering today. 1 John chapter 2, written by the Apostle John, 90 years of age. He's in Ephesus writing this. He's the last living apostle. He is old, and, um, and this is what he writes. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know, everyone say no. No. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. And he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. Hmm, I wish you weren't such a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides, everyone say abides. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you've heard heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would walk us through this. And Holy Spirit, you promised to lead us into all truth. And Lord, we thank you for this epistle, this letter written by the elderly John the Apostle so old that he would be able to call everyone else little children. And yet with wisdom, knowing this commandment all the years of his life, would be able to declare it to the church. And I pray that it would refresh us this day as well. Lord, we need it. Help us, God. So we commit it to you. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat, please. Again, uh, John, 90 years old, writing this. I, I shared with you, I actually talked to my godfather yesterday, 99 years young, in, in, into his, already operating in his 100th year, um, and oh, uh, highest ranking survivor of the attack on Pearl Harbor. I can't brag about him enough. 
but I talked to him yesterday, and, and I told you the story. At 99 years of age, uh, I said, uh, Uncle Bob, I can't stay much longer. I have to go visit Alice, Dr. Crilly. And I said, oh, how's she doing? I said, well, good. She just had her 93rd birthday. She, ah, she's just a youngster. Um, and, and that's my point, that John, at 90 years of age back then, 90 was unheard of to obtain that age. And so he called everyone little children. And so he begins this portion of the letter, my little children. And he says, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Not that Christians are going to be sinless, but he wants to help you to avoid those things that separate you from that abiding relationship with the Lord, so you don't feel distanced. And I shared with you about my own personal struggles with uh, canned tobacco and dipping, um, and, and how it would hinder my relationship with my children, because I didn't want them driving in the car and looking at my spit cup, right? Some of you are going, oh, well, whatever. Um, and, and so uh, that, that, was, that was a hindrance in my relationship, abiding uh, with my family, and, and, and that was a problem. And so for me, it was sin. Sin separated me from that relationship with my kids and with the Lord. And, and we walk in the light as he is in the light. We don't have to be ashamed of these things. And I, I got a, this, the funniest email from a, a brother. Uh, and actually, he could call me a little child because he's almost 90. And uh, he raises horses, uh, quarter horses, championship quarter horses. And he went back to Norman, Oklahoma to pick up a quarter horse. He was back there with another, another member of our congregation. He said, Pastor Rob, I got to tell you that... Uh, Back in Norman, Oklahoma, and watching all those godly Christian men helping out with the tornado victims in their houses, uh, it was a godly thing to have a big wad of red men tobacco in their mouth. He said, and I thought it was a bit manly watching that tobacco juice drip down your chin during the sermons. And, you know, his, and he said, I don't see anything wrong with a pipe full of uh, Virginia stove tobacco. Uh, and he said, to me, it's a, it's a gift from the Lord. And he said, and a, a vodka martini now and then is, a, is an enjoyable thing. And I enjoy a cigar periodically. And he says, we can overdo anything, whether it be baby back ribs or Santa Rosa plums. He was hitting me right where it counts. <clears throat> And you know what? I had no disagreement with him in that at all. Uh, I'm a little tired of Christians defining themselves by what they don't do. We're to be defined by what we do, not by what we don't do. All things in moderation, including moderation, I think, is maybe what they say too. But the idea is that we're not going to heaven by what we don't do. We're going to heaven by what Jesus did. And we declare that by keeping his commandments. And I'll cover that in a moment. But let me tell you if, you, if you're a wine drinker, praise the Lord. You like a vodka martini? I want you to enjoy that. You want a big, fat Santa Rosa Maduro cigar? Smoke it. Pipe full of tobacco? But my question is, is it hindering fellowship? Because Galatians chapter 5 says... Brethren, you've been called to liberty. Liberty means you have the ability to do what's right, but you also have in that liberty the freedom. All things are permissible, the Bible says. All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. He says you've been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, listen, but through love, listen, but through love, serve one another. Serve one another. If somebody finds your cigarette smoke vile and they can't be around you because it gives them a headache, why are you smoking? You see what I'm saying? For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You see, most of these things that we indulge in are self-indulgent. And God doesn't have a problem with you enjoying a pipe full of tobacco or, or a beer or anything like that. He's, he, he, Paul said to Timothy, take wine for your stomach ailment. So you go, well, that was for a medicinal issue, whatever. 
I mean, seriously, he, made, he, he turned pots of water into wine. Well, wine was different back then because, stop it! Where do you come up with this? It was wine! I mean, we're, we're so intense on, on defining ourselves by what we don't do that nobody's impressed. They aren't. They, just, they, they look at us and they go, why would I want to be around anyone like that? They're, they're bound. They're just they're walking around like they've eaten lemons all day. And, and the idea is you have those freedoms, but you don't use those freedoms or that liberty for self-indulgence, but more importantly, to serve your neighbors yourself. If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I, I, a story that a brother was sharing with me about a trip to Israel, and I, I knew every one of the members of that party going to Israel. I'm aware of each of the players in that party. And there was a very affluent Jewish um, uh, Israeli uh, that, that invited this entire party to go to a winery that he owned. And at the conclusion of the tour, he gave everyone in the party a bottle of wine. It was a very nice gesture. But one pastor was insulted by it and offended. We're not defined by what we don't do. I mean, so, so he's offended, so everyone else in the party has to feel bad? Get over that. Get over it. The idea is, do you use your liberty? Does it cause someone else to stumble? You know, we've been uh, processing this, um, and I'm watching it. You know, I, I think about, we, I was talking about yesterday with a brother in the 50s, as we watched uh, prayer taken out of the schools. We watched in 73 as abortion was brought in by the Supreme Court. Not a Christian raised a peep. But the church defined themselves by what they, they don't do. They didn't do anything to stop abortion. They didn't do anything to, to stop the, the, the changes uh, that brought about no prayer in schools. How did, those, how did those get established? By Christians who did something, defined themselves by what they did. It was our founding fathers, Scottish covenanters, folks who fought tooth and nail. You read their accounts, they would have a glass of beer, a glass of wine. They, they, this is what they did. They were active. They were warring. And they established these truths in a nation and defined them. And people wanted to follow them because they were fun to be around. And their lives counted for something. I, I look at it now and I think, yeah, there's, there's limits. And I think over time, you know, you, you, you weigh these things and, and Christians get a little uptight, become a little legalistic. And that's why Paul writes in Galatians, don't devour one another lest you be consumed by one another. He says, but through love serve one another. The law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why do I bring that up? Why, why is that important? Well, because he says that the law is fulfilled in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the fulfillment of the law. Why is that important? It's important because of this. John writes to the Christian church, and this, he's 90 years old, and Gnostics are coming in. And you can look at the previous studies that we've done online, or you can get a CD copy of it. I've already covered the two types of Gnostics. And, and Gnostics were these folks that were the deeper knowledge club. They, they had this deeper understanding of God. They, they knew things that others didn't know. They were a little bit more smarter. Okay? 
And they also had a different camp where you, you, the, the spirit would be separated from the body. That my intellect was different than what my flesh was doing, and they're, they're separated. That was one camp. And this word Gnostic means knowledge. Gnostic means knowledge. That's where you get the word agnostic, without knowledge. It's not necessarily a bad thing to be an agnostic. No, I'm serious. It just means without knowledge. It, it's, it's, it's simply saying, I, w- I would rather you be an agnostic, agnostic than be an atheist. Bible says any man who says there's no God is a fool. I mean, I mean <laughs> one thing to be a, an agnostic and say, well, I, I see things that tell me this, but I don't des- necessarily know. I'll show you what I mean. I, 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 know, I know that there's a designer of, of this building because I see the order of it. And I know there was a builder of this building because of the order and the structure. I just don't know them. I'm an agnostic in relation to knowing them. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they look like. I don't know if they're male or female, if they were tall. I don't know what their ethnicity was. I don't know what their education was. I know they didn't have a lot of taste. But what I'm saying is they, they <laughs> you see? So the Greeks, with this idea of gnosis, to know, and I had you guys say that, to know, we have an intellectual understanding, comprehension. I know that that chair will hold my 200 pounds, I know, all right, I know it'll hold me, but the Greeks didn't do it that way. The, the Greeks didn't separate the intellect from the action. The only way you could use the word no is you had to be sitting in it. I know by experience, experiential, that that chair holds me. That's the only way you could use the word no, gnosis, is I have experienced, I've experienced that chair to be able to hold me. Right? And so when John is saying, by this we know that we know him. Experientially, how do I know that I know God? How do I move from being an agnostic to being someone who knows God experientially? I got to tell you, a large portion of my Christian walk, I was an agnostic. Meaning, I believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but there was much about God I did not understand nor comprehend. I'll tell you what, it took me a long time to come to a place where I was content with the Trinity. One God, three persons. But they're just one. They're just, it's just one God, not polytheistic, monotheistic. One God, three persons. Okay. How do you explain that? Well, it's kind of like water. It can be a solid, it can be a gas, it can be a liquid. All at the same time. Yeah, but does it talk to itself and answer itself? Anyone? Mueller? And if you try to explain that, you get stretch marks on your brain. And I do say this, though. This is where I came to the conclusion. If, if God could be explained, he's only as big as my brain. Not worthy of my worship. That's pretty impressed with it. Right? So this gnosis, this, this, now by this we know that we know him. Well, how do we know that we know him? Well, the Bible says faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. But John drives it home, and he says, if we keep his commandments, commandments, commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth isn't in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. So I know him if I keep his commandments. Okay, commandments. Uh, I don't think I could recite the ten. Uh, what are some? Oh, I know that one of the commandments is you can't have pork, no bacon. I, I don't love God. 
I don't, uh, that's, that's bad. I, I love bacon. I, I worship bacon. You have to be circumcised. Oh, that's a commandment? Oh, that's, yeah, no, don't love God. You just go through all those commandments. You go through all the commandments. Well, wait a minute. He's talking about Jesus here, the son. He says, I know him. Mm-hmm. He says, whoever keeps his word, was truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to himself also walk just as he, Jesus, walked. And I love that word abide. I had you repeat it. I love that word abide. It means to settle down and make yourself at home. I, just, I love hanging out with the Lord. I just feel at home in his presence. But let me tell you what John is referring to because John wrote this. And John also wrote the book of John, the gospel of John. John 15, turn there with me if you would, John 15. It's in the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, John 15. John 15. Jesus speaking... Verse 1, he says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I will be in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what he's saying is similar. He's saying, uh, you're, you're, abiding in the, you're abiding in the Father, you're abiding in the branch, and you've been made clean. We saw that propitiation in verses 1 and 2 of 1 John chapter 2. Propitiation means his righteousness is put on our account. He's our advocate, our attorney. He stands before the judge who happens to be his father. And as an attorney, his title is Jesus Christ the righteous. And so when we sin, he cleanses us from, from all of our sin, right? And, and he defends us before our accuser, Satan. Pretty cool. So we're clean, and, and we abide in him, and we abide in his word, and we bear fruit when we do that. What is the fruit he's speaking? Well, Galatians 5, the, fr- the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, right? What are they? Come on. Peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, patience, long-suffering. Those are all good ones. <laughs> fruit everywhere. And so look at verse, verse 5 of John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. It shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so that you will be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Here we go. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Here it is. What's your commandment, Lord? Here it is. What's your commandment? Listen. You want to know what the commandment is? Here it is. Here comes the commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another. That your joy may be full. (laughs) No. (laughs) Love one another as I have loved you. 
How have you loved us, Lord? Verse 13, greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for a friend. That's the commandment? Love one another? What do you, what do you mean? What part of no? <laughs> what do you mean? Okay. Matthew 22. Back, 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 back. Matthew 22. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go back. Matthew 22. By the way, anyone ever heard the term hypocrite? Anyone ever been called one? I have. <laughs> ever, anyone ever been one? <laughs> I'm in. We think hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does something else. No, that's just somebody who has standards and fails to accomplish them. Jesus defined what a hypocrite was. A hypocrite is someone who knows the truth, doesn't obey it, and deliberately leads others away from it so that they can continue to deceive. That's why he called the Pharisees hypocrites and the Sadducees. A hypocrite is someone who knows the truth and deliberately steers people away from the truth personal vendetta, whatever it is. I'll give you an example. I, f- I follow atheists a little bit, and I, I get a kick out of the fact that they are so anti-Christian. And they're arguing, they're arguing, and they're so upset that they want to build things a- in near Christian locations. Did anyone ever see the pictures Today in the paper about the monument that they put in, uh, in uh, oh gosh, Bradford County uh, in Stark, Florida. The atheist put up a bench with a monument next to the Ten Commandments. And they were denouncing Christianity and they're angry at Christians. And I'm thinking, why, why don't you, why, you're saying God doesn't exist. Why don't you do that for the Easter Bunny? Or Santa Claus? Why aren't you taking on Muslims? You say God doesn't exist. Why is it just Christians? Why not the Easter Bunny? The Easter Bunny hasn't changed Western civilization. That's because he can't. Hmm? Santa Claus can't either. But God moving in the hearts of his people have transformed the world. They may not like the Lord... But why do you have to fight against something that doesn't exist? It's like fighting the air. It doesn't exist. You just, you, you, you may be angry and you don't want it to exist. And they're the source of your pain, which I can agree with. But you're struggling to define something that doesn't exist. So... Jesus is dealing with these guys that are really hypocrites, and they're the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus was an apologist for the Christian faith. Interesting. They would say stuff, and he, would, he, he knew how to handle it. He knew how to handle it. But he also knew that apologetics doesn't necessarily change someone's life. I mean, let, let me show you. How many people have been led to the Lord because somebody loved on you, took time to explain to you, uh, represented Christ to you in a loving manner, and that's what convinced you and you came to Christ. Raise your hand. Okay, good, good. No, no, do it again. Come on, let everybody see it. 
Amen. All right. How many people were led to the Lord because somebody was an apologist for the Christian faith and debated with you and just was fervent and laid it out and they, you were so convinced by their open, closed case and they just, they humbled you into submission to Christ? Raise your hand. One, two, two. two. Okay, that's a good ratio. And they said they beat you into submission. And that's, now, there's going to be people raising their hand in every service. But you see the contrast? The contrast? And so, look at Matthew 22, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, meaning a debate, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's interesting, isn't it? He's quoting out of uh, uh, Deuteronomy 6.5. It's the Shema. Love the Lord your God. With, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he goes on. He says, verse 38, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's out of Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus says, in 19.18, it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then he finishes. He says, This is the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament is wrapped up in these two commandments. Back to 1 John chapter 2. You want to know that you know? Keep my commandments. What are those? Love me and love others. Hey? You mean like, like I love me? Mm-hmm. I was in a church one time. And the senior pastor who ended up leaving, he'd been there a number of years, he started inner city city ministry with gang kids. He watched as as, uh, Los Angeles was burning, and he said, what would cause someone to burn their own city? It was after the Rodney King riots. And right then, he just said, you know, Fresno had the second highest murder rate, second highest car theft rate, it was awful, the city was in a free fall. You called 911, it would take over an hour for a police officer to respond. I lived there back then. We had cars stolen from our driveway. A woman was held up at gunpoint right by her back fence. I mean, it was awful. And he decides to give up a ministry and a retirement to go into the inner city to work with these gang kids and put them into jobs where they're getting clean money. And to this day, they've, they've now placed over 1,000 gang kids in mainline jobs. We're talking felonies and the like, and they are now raising families. I, I got kids in, in this fellowship right now, I can't get hired because they have a felony because nobody's willing to hire them. There's a couple of folks that have come forward and said, we'll do it. I'm blessed by that. If we're Christians, we believe in a fresh start. I've been discipling them. I've watched their lives transform. I'll put my money behind them. I'll put my backing behind them. You just give me a place where I can employ them. And so... He went into the inner city, and I remember what he was saying to me as he was getting ready to leave this one church, and I had come on to work there. He said, Rob, I just want to warn you that this is an ethnic church. It's been around for almost 100 years. It's cultural. It's congregational. 
And he said, beware of women with the name Joy or Grace, because they contain neither. (laughs) And he was right. I met them. It was awful. You You can have a storehouse of knowledge of the Bible and not know the Lord. You will not be abiding in Him. You won't be at home with Him. He doesn't know you. You may have a ream of information. You may have read every book. You may have been raised in the church, but you don't know him. How do you know that you know him? You keep his commandments. What's that? Love people. Mm. I mean, I got to tell you. There were people I met in that church who had been there their whole life. And if heaven is going to have them there, I don't want to be there. I have met people who profess Christ who are the most cantankerous, contrary, divisive, mean-spirited, awful, angry, bitter. There's no fruit. If I were to go through Galatians 5, I don't see a a bit of it in their lives. They're hard to love. They, They test you. They challenge you. They push you. I bet you this church isn't loving. I dare you to love me. Bible says if a man desires friends, he must himself be friendly. You're not even ready for that. You just, well, I'll just tell you right now, you're not going to get along here. You don't like anybody. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just telling you. I'm giving you straight up. And you love those folks. How do you love the unlovable? That's the word that's used here, gape. There's just, you, you, it's, you love them in spite of what they're doing. Just they hurt you and they come back around and you love on them again. And that's what Jesus is saying. And he he said to the scribes and the Pharisees, Love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, love your neighbors yourself on these two commandments, hey, all the law of the prophets. That's what it means to know me. You love people. To know me is to love people. God's love is perfected in the person that and, and then he goes on to say, if you look at first John two, he says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you. It's an old commandment. You've you've heard it from the beginning. I'm 90 years old. I'm the one whom Jesus loved. I watched Peter out by the fire reject Jesus three times. A rooster crowed. I watched Jesus' face pummeled. I I saw him restore Peter. I saw Peter standing in front of crowds of thousands proclaiming the gospel. I watched how love transformed a man's life. I've been boiled alive and I'm still here and I'm 90 years old. And i got to tell you, I've watched as Christians have begun to define themselves by what they don't do. But I'm here to tell you that they're defined by what they do. You, 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 you renounce and you're angry about the change in government. And, and Christianity exploded under the most oppressive government in the face of the earth. Rome. I sat with Pastor Steve Larson who just came back from China. 1.5 million Chinese have come to Christ in house churches. They're sending more missionaries in the 1040 window than America is. They know that they know. There's love. A heart for the lost. We're just angry. John says, this isn't an old commandment. 
And maybe, oh, because I'm 90 years old, maybe you're tired of hearing it. But God's going to prune his church, and it will produce fruit. He's going to take off the dead leaves. He says, again, this is not a new commandment I write you, which things is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, the true light's already shining. And then he closes by saying, he who says he's in the light and hates his brothers in darkness. You cannot hate your brother. You cannot hate your brother and love the Lord. You can't. And you can't go around, well, I, 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 I love him, but I don't like him. Give me a break. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. He who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brothers in darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The depth of your knowledge of God, the depth of your knowledge of God is demonstrated by the depth of your love for his children. I don't care what you know here. I care about what you do here. You want to know that you know him? Love like he loved you. Lay down your life. That liberty is to do what's right. I want to close with a picture. I talked earlier, bless you, I talked earlier about that article I saw on the internet. And I read the news in the morning after my, my time with the Lord and I read and um, I saw this article, and um, I went through a, a multi, multitude of emotions. Um, let's lower the lights. I want to show you the article and walk you through it. Do you have that one picture of the guy standing on the Ten Commandments? Can you pull that one up? So, so the guy standing here, his name is David Sil- Silverman, and he is the president of American Atheists. And he's out in front of the county courthouse in Stark, Florida, and uh, he's standing on top of the Ten Commandments because they've just dedicated a monument to atheists. And the monument has a bench and a pylon. And he's, he's basically desecrating the Ten Commandments, speaking out against Christianity. All the media's around. Everybody's laughing as he's mocking Christianity. And uh, does, that, does that upset anybody? Come on, give me a break. Did, uh, hello? Okay. Kind of irks you, doesn't it? Well, you know why he's doing it? Because a guy named Eric Hoven of a creation ministry, his father... Ken Hoven was put in jail for tax evasion. Uh, show this next one with him standing on top. He did it first. Eric Hoven, a Christian, stood on top of the atheist monument to say, thank you for building this so that I can now uh, declare God's glory from the lie of this monument. And next you see the people seated. It's, it's a square monument with a bench. And he's up there in the Brad, Bradford County Courthouse. People are taking pictures. Christians are surrounding it. Show, show me another picture, if you would. Now, this right here, this guy, his name is Cy Ten uh, Bruggenkot, and he has a ministry called ProofThatGodExists.org. 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 First John 4, 8, for God is love. Proof that God exists. And what's he doing? He's putting a toilet seat on top of the atheist bench. Proof that God exists.
Oh, show me the next one. Hmm. This one broke my heart. This, this hit home. The minute I saw that picture, I knew I know him. I went to school with him. We graduated from Coronado High School in 1982 together. He was in my class. His sister Gretchen Squires was older, and by a year or two, his name's Rob Squires. Rob graduated from the Citadel. Fourth generation, his great-grandpa, his grandpa, his dad, and he graduated from the Citadel. They all served this nation. Rob had two tours of duty, I think, in Iraq as a Marine. Rob, eighth grade to ninth grade year, I think it was. Rob's dad, Navy SEAL, while Rob was home with Gretchen, his sister, Rob's dad shot his mother, his wife, Rob's mom, and then shot himself. And this is what you get. You get somebody who doesn't believe God exists. And that's Eric Hoven, and they're yelling at each other. I don't care how smart you are. You saw the hands and the ratio. You will know that you know him when you keep his commandments. What are those? Love one another. I'm not saying at the expense of truth. I'm talking about the emphasis of truth. You don't define yourself by what you don't do. Define yourself by what you do. And you don't reflect Christ by putting a toilet seat or standing on somebody's monument. You're all things to all men that you might win some. Christians, this is what John said when he said, my little children. Love one another. I want him to come to Christ, and that's not doing it. I know his, his pain. I know his heartache. He's a good guy. He's just never known Christ because he's never seen him. And he's not seeing him with that guy. I don't know anything about Eric, but I just know it ain't working. We're Christians. They'll know we're Christians by our love. First John 2. Let's pray. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. But he who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. Truly the love of God is perfected in the man who abides in the word of God. And so, Lord, we want to know that we know you as we keep your commandments. God, not that we define ourselves by what we don't do, but we'd be defined by what we do. That the world will know we're Christians by our love. Not that we can't be opposed to things that are a lie, 
but we do them in such a way that our friends and our enemies respect us because they know we love them. Rare is the man who can do that. He truly has the wisdom of the Lord, the gentleness of God, the fruits of the Spirit that are in abundance as he abides in the Word. Lord, may we be men and women like that. Lord, I ask that you'd bless our time and strengthen every heart. I pray, Lord, that the love of God would be made manifest and that the world would know of Christ as we lay down our life. For greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for a friend. And Lord, finally, I just reflect on the fact that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You loved us into the kingdom by giving your life for our, our deliverance. You didn't put a toilet seat on a bench. Lord, teach us. We thank you for this day, and I ask your blessing. And Lord, I pray that Rob Squires will come to know you. Please, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. While we're worshiping, ask him just to fill you with his love. That it would be made manifest in your life. That you'd know you know him because...